Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. The rookies are in town. That's eight draft picks plus 12 undrafted free agents. It's rookie minicamp, their first taste of life in the NFL. And, of course, our first look at them in a Cardinals uniform or at least Cardinals practice gear. We talk about what we want and hope to see. But first, coaching news we can finally talk about. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 564, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2 with Craig Grealoux and Mike Jarecki. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. Going for Hopkins, one-handed catch and a touchdown, DeAndre Hopkins. Here's Craig Grealoux and Mike Jarecki. So most of this is new news even for us. Cardinals promoted five assistants, which I'll get to here in a moment, MJ. It's the not-so-new news, though, that I want to start with. Matt Burke, I think he's been in the building for, what, maybe three months, maybe? I mean, it's it's been a while. But it is finally official, announced as the new defensive line coach, former Eagles defensive line coach. Last season he was with the Jets. But the big thing is, and we always talk about it, relationships, connections. Reunited with Vance Joseph, the third different time Burke and Joseph will be working together. Yeah, we we got a chance to see him, and they finally officially, and I think they just wanted to wait, and, and obviously we'll get into some of the other promotions. But, you know, I thought Brinson Buckner did a really good job. Um, the Cardinals did try to retain him, obviously got a chance to go to Jacksonville. Um, but the fact is that this guy's been around, and, you know, sometimes a new voice or a different voice will help, even though I thought Buck got the most out of the players that it was here. But it, to me, you know, uh, you know, you and I were having lunch, and normally they start bringing people through, and we don't know what their, their positions are because they're wearing suits and they're meeting with different people. And uh, a lot of people think he looks like Jeff Rogers, speaking of uh, – Matt. Yeah, I can I can see, see that with the with the beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, can, I can see that. All right, just make sure you don't call him Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> you can get around a lot of that by just going, "Hey, coach." You yeah, know, it, it's, that's it, a good it point. Kind of equals everyone, you know. It's that's a that's a that's a veteran move right yeah. there. Now, I think the big news is Sean Jefferson. He is the associate head coach and the wide receivers coach, and to me. You know, and we'll get into Cam Turner become the co-passing coordinator, quarterbacks coach, and also Spencer Whipple, who was actually assistant to Jeff, uh, Sean Jefferson, and we know what he did. So, to me, these guys deserved it. They worked their way up. But it's nice to see Sean Jefferson because, you know, if you don't have that coordinator tag, all of a sudden people don't think that you can be a coordinator or a head coach. And we know that he commands the room. He's going to get the most out of these players. He was really, besides us, bringing up the fact they want to move Rondell more about around more, get that route tree going. I'm sure he's just look, looking at you know Hollywood Brown and how can he help this team. So, and, and again, Spencer Whipple, he's worked his way up. Uh, I know there were some college teams looking at him possibly as an offensive coordinator, but when you have a head coach and a GM that are extended, the grass isn't always green on the other side. And then you throw in Mike Bercovici. Burkle's been here for a few years. Um, now he's an offense assistant. I think he t- was able to take Jim Dre's job, who went to the Chicago Bears to be the tight ends coach. And he'll assist with everything else, but he got a promotion, well-deserved. He's put his time in. 
Uh, he can still sling it. <laughs> he can still sling it. And Kenny Bell uh, is the chief to the staff offense assistant, so he's obviously, you know, will be Cliff Kingsbury's right-hand man, which he's been since he's been here. So this is what happens when you, you know, obviously we are, I don't feel like I should say this every single time. Nobody was happy how the season ended. But it, there was enough blame to go around. But you want to keep good coaches, and they have a mixture of youth and experience on this staff. And you look at the the most important positions, obviously D-line, O-line, wide receiver. Run, I mean, you could say them all. I mean, inside, outside, of the defensive back. So, And I'm sure, you know, if, if Vance would have went somewhere else, he probably would have tried to take a couple guys. So, um, you know, Vance is to me one of the best coordinators in football. Now it's about him just scheming up and the players – play into what he wants to do versus freelancing. Vance Joseph interviewed with the Miami Dolphins, I believe, what, was it once or did he get a second interview? Just once, so one time, and yeah, you're right, because if he had left, who knows, maybe he would have taken a handful or a couple of different guys with him to Miami, but he stays put, and you look at the promotions, really, this coaching staff, relatively intact even since Kingsbury has arrived. I mean, there's been a change at wide receivers coach. There's been a change at defensive line. Other than that, the positions, that is solid. And that's continuity. Players will change, but the continuity and maintaining, hey, getting better each and every year, that learning, that teaching. So it does mean something. And then when you have the head coach get a contract extension yeah you want to make sure you keep that coaching staff intact and I do think it's important for the continuity of this franchise well I think it's also stability you know you don't have to worry about because if nobody gets extended and you're going to the fourth year and, and the Cardinals they could have a better team on paper and finish with the same record and that would mean you make the playoffs but how do you finish so the, there's stability and I think you know by the general manager and the head coach getting extended. Um, coaches, I mean, they live a tough life, and they signed up for it, but they moved their families all around, and it's nice to say I, I can raise my kids here in Arizona. They can go to school, you know, proximity, uh, whether it's, you know, on the West Coast. So there's a lot of benefits, but the grass isn't always greener. And once you have, um, you know, as you said, continuity and stability in your staff, you're not looking over your shoulder. I think everyone knows their job. And I think with Spencer Whipple and Cam Turner, it's almost like you got a passing game coordinator. We know that Cougs is the running game coordinator. And between him and Hyden and James Saxon, they put together the run game. So this is interesting. Not too many cooks in the kitchen. Ultimately, they'll put their input. Cliff obviously calls the plays on game day, but they will be well prepared. Not that they weren't before, but now they'll have a little bit more on their plate. You'll never hear offensive coordinator as long as Kingsbury is the head coach. I don't think there will be a designated offensive coordinator. That's just my opinion. But what you've seen now with the last two offseasons, Sean Kugler, run game coordinator. Now it's passing game coordinator, and it's mixed between Cam Turner and Spencer Whipple. So it's a promotion. It's a fancy title, but it does carry more weight now in those position rooms, in the meeting rooms, because – you're not getting promoted just to get promoted. I mean, there's a reason behind the promotion. And with Spencer Whipple, it's great because he got singled out really back in week six in 2019 as far as – oh, excuse me, in, in 2021. So last season in Cleveland, that game in which Kingsbury missed, and then all of a sudden, not last second, but Friday night, it was all right, Spencer, you're, you're the play caller. 
you're going to be the one that's in the ear of Kyler Murray. And that might have been one of their better all-around performances when you talk about offense, defense, and special teams, that victory in Cleveland. And it was Spencer Whipple calling the plays that day. Yeah, and I thought it was a collaboration. You know, obviously you had Sean Kugel over there. Colt McCoy knows the offense. And, and, and you know, I'm sure um, Sean Jefferson, you know, was involved about different packages. So it was a collaboration. But he was the, you know, the first guy that Kyler heard. And, and in fairness to Kyler, I thought he improvised in that game. Uh, you, you definitely want to stay on the script, but I thought they were always ahead of the, uh, the Browns in that game. When, and when you can control tempo, you can do a lot of different things. But, uh, he, again, he definitely earned a promotion, just like all the other guys. And the good news is they're going to be here for the next few years. One quick note on Matt Burke, new defensive line coach. I'll say this, and we've discussed the defensive line, whether it's a defensive end or defensive tackle, and there's no new face in that defensive line room outside of the three undrafted free agents that will be here this weekend, and we'll see if they're here past this weekend or however long they might be here. But you lose a Jordan Phillips, Corey Peters is not back, and that defensive line needs to show some improvement, not from the outside but from the middle, that interior pressure. So maybe a new voice, maybe a different scheme, or that relationship between Burke and Coach Joseph, knowing what Vance Joseph likes to do from a defensive standpoint. Again, they were together in Cincinnati from 2014 to 2015. Burke was the linebacker's coach, Joseph the defensive backs coach, and then together in Miami in 2016, Burke was the linebacker's coach, and Joseph was the defensive coordinator. So third time with Burke and Joseph, and I think that says something with respects to knowing one another. And, all right, take my vision and pass that along to everyone else in that room. Yeah, I mean, he, really, they only have really one nose tackle, and that would be Richard Lawrence and, you know, Lucky Foe, too. I think we're going to see him extend a, uh, extend a little bit here. They, you know, maybe they'll move J.J. Watt around. I mean, I got to think right now you'd have J.J. Watt on the left side, Richard Lawrence in the middle, and then uh, Zach Allen um, on opposite. I would think that they could move them around. So, anyway, as we mentioned th- over the last couple of days, Manny Jones, defensive lineman, 6'4", 290. And then you look at Will uh, Miles, defensive line, 6'5", 279. And then the other defensive lineman is Laron Stokes. And they're all undrafted free agents, and they're all going to have an opportunity. Now, when you start looking at the outside guys, I mean, Michael Dogby's 295 pounds. I mean, I think it's time for him to make that next step. And if you're Victor Dimokichi, yes, he made the roster last year being a late, uh, you know, a ladder pick. But he's going to have to beat these young guys out because you don't have – I mean, now, salary-wise, you'd like to keep him around. But I'm saying if two of these three guys are active, just because where they were drafted, they may have the upper hand. But he, right now, is a guy that can play on special teams – and we got a chance to talk to you know four of the draft picks today, and I think they all know they're going to have to play on special teams. Cardinals covered two, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. All right, let's get into it. You brought up the fact that the rookies have arrived. They are in the facility. They will be on the football field this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But ahead of that, in fact, we do have some news coming down on this Thursday that of the eight draft picks, three have signed standard four-year contracts. Sixth-round draft pick running back Keontae Ingram. Sixth-round draft pick linebacker Lasita – excuse me, sixth-round draft pick offensive guard Lasita Smith. 
get ahead of myself, seventh round draft pick linebacker Jesse Lucchetta. Those three have signed. Whether we see more signings on Friday or into the weekend or early next week, this used to be a big deal when draft picks sign. Now it's a mere formality. Everything is slotted, and it becomes more about language versus years and dollars. But you still want to have your guys locked up because it makes them feel more comfortable but again this will happen over time but it's not a big deal as it once was no and you know there's been times where you had first round picks and they have to sign a waiver um or they wouldn't practice and clearly the team's not gonna if you get hurt i mean that's not good but they're not gonna like all of a sudden throw you to the side they own your rights for the next four or five years yeah it's really a formality and Usually the first time they get in town, you take care of the late-round picks, and then eventually they'll start taking around, taking care of the top guys. I mean, at this point, nobody should be holding out. And you're seeing first-round picks. Matter of fact, Walker signed with the Jaguars, so that kind of sets the, the slot system. So, uh, you know, a couple of those guys uh, we got a chance to talk to, including Gante Ingram, and he was smiling from uh, ear to ear, and he mentioned on Luke and uh, Wolf's show that he just signed his contract. So he's a happy man. Absolutely. Nine siblings. As well he should be, and as well as all eight draft picks, including the four that we had a chance to speak to or hear from, Trey McBride, Cameron Thomas, MyJ Sanders, and Keonta Ingram, all walking in wearing cardinal red polos and big smiles on their faces. Draft night, we saw some of them, heard all of them, but now face-to-face with a lot of these kids, and yes, we call them kids, but just the eagerness and the readiness to show what they're about. Given this opportunity, now what are you going to do with that opportunity? And we'll see how they feel after this three-day rookie minicamp, how many of them are not tapping out, but their heads are swimming with all of the information. Can you retain what your position coach has given to you, what the head coach has asked of you to do, and then all of a sudden you know, maybe get on that board a little bit and do some homework. But it's going to be a busy four days, including their arrival on Thursday. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Clearly, I don't think the tryout guys will get iPads. I don't even know if they undrafted, but the draft picks, yeah, and the you know they're likely be staying in a hotel. So, hope they're hydrated. Um, they're obviously going to get three meals a day. They're going to get well coached, and then they go back to their hotel room, turn that AC on, and study, study that playbook, try to write things down, and remember because you have to be able to retain information. Nobody's going to judge you on what you do over the next three days, but when you get back for OTAs and you get to training camp. Again, it's a process, but you you know, less mistakes, not thinking, you can play a lot faster. So you want to start off with Trey, Trey Mc, uh, McBride. Yeah, let's go with the. I guess I'm trying to I'm trying to put him in a category unto himself because without a first round draft pick, and this was a question our colleague Darren Urban asked of McBride. There, without a first round draft pick, you go to all right, who is the next highest pick? Well, it's the second round selection, Trey McBride. So he becomes the face of this draft class and maybe even more so because it's a position that initially you would think, well, they don't really need a tight end. You needed, there were other positions of greater need, at least on the surface, but we don't know about the health of Max Williams. And then of course, Zach Ertz, apologies to Zach, but he's not getting any younger. Yeah. He's under contract for three years, but who knows? after this season, after next season. So you've got a young kid, 6'4", 246, who is looking forward to learning from Ertz and Max Williams, being that sponge. That was the word Trey McBride 
used. And I like that because you don't want to come in thinking that, hey, I've arrived. I know everything. It's all right. Let me walk into this locker room. Let me walk in my position room and say, all right, who can I learn from? Who can I pick the brain of? And you've got Zach Ertz, one of the best in the game, and Max Williams, who's made a tremendous career out of himself being able to block and catch the ball. Yeah, and one thing about McBride, he he told us, you know, he was a three-year captain. He was the best tight end in the country, according to the Mackey Award. But he said, he, you know, you always hear three-sport star. He was a four-sport star. He played, he played baseball, basketball, football, and he wrestled. Yes. And, you know, I asked him because, you know, when you play at Colorado State, people are going to question the competition. But he went to the Senior Bowl, and he stood out. And he said, I can play with SEC guys. So that was important for him to show that. And we all know that. You know, the Senior Bowl is probably the, the biggest um, interview because you can talk to guys during the week uh, if you're not the coaching staff, and then you can talk to them on the side. And then at that point, you know, you start to build the relationships. But uh, he definitely flashed there, so it was interesting there. And, you know, just the whole process. But I, I can tell you, um, they all were smiling, wearing their cardinal red. But he, this guy's got some energy. He was high energy, <laughs> as he self-described himself, and not like a little kid, but he was very amped up. And I believe it was Darren asked him, he was like, so is this how you are, or is it just because it's day one and everything? He's like, no, this is, this is who I am. I'm a high energy guy. <laughs> so we now know a little bit more about Trey McBride. But a couple of things stood out to me. One was we always talk about the receiving yards, over 1,100 last year, and how many – 100-yard receiving games. But here, how many opportunities is he going to get? He was the focal point of that Colorado State offense. He's not going to be the focal point of this offense here with the Arizona Cardinals. But you're going to be asked to do different things. One, if you're tied in, you have to block. Quote, Trey McBride again. I love blocking. And then he added 70% of the time at Colorado State, he was blocking despite his offensive numbers. And then number two, Quote, I think special teams are important, end quote. And he understands that before he maybe faces or sees a single offensive snap, he's going to have to make his mark on special teams or be involved heavily in special teams. Well, if you watch the flight plan, you know, Steve's talking to him, and clearly they they didn't think he would be there, and he was, and they drafted him. But he, he emphasized you're going to have to play on special teams, and we know that, you know, Max Williams is a special teams guy. I guess Zach Ertz could do it, but, you know, you maybe want to save him because he's going to play 40, 50, 60 snaps a game. Yeah, and, and again, if you're a backup, and he could be, you know, 1A and 1B behind Ertz just because of the experience factor, and obviously Zach knows how to run routes in the NFL, and he'll, he'll learn from him, but if you're a backup, you have to play on special teams, and I think they're, they're all aware of that. Always important, and and I like what he said though. And you quote him. He, he said, you know, he threw a stat out three points or less. Usually, it's a touchdown or less in the last five minutes. But he talked about the importance, and he played on special teams at Colorado State. So he's it's not like it's something new where he's just this um, entitled guy. I only catch the ball and I only block. I'm I'm looking looking forward to. Um, and he kind of hinted that, you know, based on his conversations with the head coach, not putting words in his mouth, but this offense may look look a little bit different. Maybe in the first, he didn't say six weeks, but with 12 personnel, 
to utilize matchups. That's all it's about, matchups, and make sure you protect Kyler Murray. And I think that's why, to me, out of all of these draft picks on the offensive end, Trey McBride, and maybe it's too easy of a prediction, but Trey McBride, to me, is going to play the most of any of these draft picks on offense. Maybe, I don't know how early, but certainly over the course of the season because when you look at the two guards, Lasita Smith and Marquise Hayes, I think injury might be the only way we see either of those two guards unless one really stands out in training camp. Keontae Ingram going to begin as the fourth running back on the depth chart. How quickly does he move up? There is an opportunity to be that number two guy, but right now, again, if you watch Flight Plan, General Manager Steve Kahn mentioned Ingram as the fourth running back. So that's where we're at right now. So I do think McBride very well could be that guy as that number two tight end. And as Kingsbury told him on draft night, quote, get ready to play. There ain't no red shirting, all right? And I think McBride understands that, certainly knows it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a big Jonathan Ward fan, and I'm not – I just – don't really like saying he's he's a just a special teams player because to me he can be just as good as maybe Chase Edmonds was. I, I you know I, I look at McBride and Cameron Thomas, Maja Sanders. Those guys are going to play. Those guys are going to be active. And I got to think when it's all said and done, Ingram maybe your second or third running back. He understands playing on teams. I couldn't agree more with you about the linemen. Uh, they're also going to cross train at center. And you want to have depth there because you get to, you know, November and all of a sudden, you know, you got some injuries. So uh, there'll be a work in progress. You know, Chris Matthew, the corner, we didn't get a chance to talk to him, tall and lean. He may be more of a, a depth guy, practice squad guy. And then J- Jesse Lucada, we'll see what he does. But I, I got to think when you look at the guys that we talked to today, they're going to have an opportunity to be active on game day. All right, let's stay with that offense and talk about Ingram, who addressed the media as well, and used the word overwhelming when asked about Thursday arriving, getting your physical, getting your equipment. All of a sudden, you got your practice gear, and you're going to hit the field in less than 24 hours. But he mentioned that, yeah, he wore red in high school, wore red in college, and now is wearing red here in the pros, so perhaps a lucky color for him, but a bigger back, six feet, 221, just like James Conner. And Ingram mentioned he likes to look at bigger backs and then mentioned James Conner, mentioned Adrian Peterson, guys that more traditionally run between the tackles. I don't know, Ingram typically has been one of those guys that bounces it to the outside, but can we veer him closer between the two guards in the center spot but I don't think he's afraid of physicality. I just think with college, it's the speed aspect, and you're able to get to the outside a lot quicker and get extra yards. In the NFL, there is no getting to the outside quicker because everyone on defense is quick, and they're going to catch you. Well, in college, they don't. You know, normally the tackles. First of all, they're all wearing braces because they don't want anybody to get injured, and they don't even put their hand in the dirt. Here, they're going to put your hand in the dirt. Yeah, he looks the part. Um, the way they run this zone running scheme, I think he can get to the second layer. As long as you get some holes opening up, he could bounce to the outside. You know, I asked him about pass protection. He said, you know, it's probably an area, but it's not like he hasn't done it because when he got to USC, he was he's in the backfield. But And understanding that he needs to get better. Yeah. 
I mean, he's none of these guys are a finished product. And you know, he he looks at Adrian Peterson, and I think a lot of young guys do because you're that workhorse and that power back. But he also looks at James Conner. No, James Conner is a little bit t- just a little bit taller. He's two thirty three, um, according to Ingram. He's about six foot two twenty one. So you're just giving it give or take. But he looks the part. And I got to think when it's all said and done, um, he's going to be active on game day, and we'll see if he's a second or third string running back when we get to training camp or the regular season. And when you asked about pass protection, he also, and I believe it was also about special teams, and he brought up, yeah, I need to make the roster on special teams and catch the eye of Jeff Rogers because maybe he can surprise and work his way up that depth chart, and all of a sudden he is that number two running back. It's just it's a lot to ask of any running back, let alone a sixth-round day three selection. Although I did like his attitude because he understands that the running back position is not as valued as it once upon a time was with Adrian Peterson being a top 10 draft pick. Now all of a sudden you can get those running backs on day three, work them into the ground, and then find someone else. That's that running back position outside of a Derrick Henry and a handful of other guys. But there are 32 teams. There are not 32 running backs that are their bell cow, if you will, that the offense is predicated on. And to me, you know, you know, not putting the cart before the horse, but to me, if you want to preserve James Conner, because we know that he runs, uh, you know, through people, he's a bully out there in a good way. But he also dealt with some rib injuries. So he'd be the perfect back if you get a lead, a two-possession or a 10-point game, maybe with five or six minutes in the game, you just run the ball down the throat. Run the ball, win at the line of scrimmage, kind of like they did against the Rams when they went there and beat them uh, earlier in the season. So I think he, instead of you know Connor being the bell cow, he'll set you up. And again, these are, these guys all got to figure it out. I mean, the work habit, uh, watching somebody else and how they go about their business, taking care of your body, making sure you get rest. Um, you know, don't waste time in the weight room, which they won't under Buddy Morris. There's, there's a lot of things to. We just see what they look like in a helmet and what can they do. But you have to put the work in, and then you'll be rewarded at the end. Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals as we continue to discuss the rookies arriving soon to be on the practice field this weekend. And, of course, later on we'll give our takes on what we saw and what we heard from the three-day rookie minicamp. But we hear from these guys. And then the two third-round selections, both outside linebackers, edge rushers, Cameron Thomas, and MyJ Sanders, as much as McBride might play, I think if, and it's a big if, but if Thomas and Sanders can be successful, third-round picks that can have eight-plus-year careers can be bookends on either side, then this 2022 draft class will be a huge success because you have a huge void at outside linebacker with the loss of Chandler Jones. The decision not to make a move to try to retain him, whether it was the Cardinals' decision, whether it was Chandler's decision or a mutual decision, he's not here. Who's rushing the quarterback? Yes, you have Marcus Golden. Who else is rushing that quarterback? And I am intrigued, not only by what we've seen, but what we've heard now from Thomas and Sanders and the, perhaps the chemistry of the bond that they formed together and work together to help this defense and disrupt an opposing offense. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, if you if you want to look at Thomas, he's a guy that can put his hand in the dirt. He's a guy that can also rush the passer. And I think when you look at Maja Sanders, you know, good size, 6'5", 248, where uh, Thomas is 267. And, you know, he looks at a guy like Von Miller. He, he, Darren asked him maybe, you know, do you have any insight in Chandler Jones? He says he's watched his film, but he's a little bit different player. And my first thing is, can you drop back into coverage? And he said, yeah, I can drop back into coverage just based on the size. And that's going to help this team. So Vance can maybe load up the box, go with that NASCAR package, and then him dropping coverage. And he said that, you know, playing seven-on-seven football, he has no problem catching the ball. And who did he learn from, his sister? His sister. It's a it's a great story that I was not aware of and hope we learn more about it. But he brought up as far as the chip that he plays, the chip on his shoulder that he plays with uh, is in large part because of his older sister who passed away in 2016 in a car accident hit by a drunk driver. But his sister, they were very, very close. And it was the older sister, six years older than Sanders, who guided him, taught him instructed him, mentioned that his sister played all the sports and taught him how to play all the sports because she played girls flag football and was a receiver. But his sister still means so much to him, and you could just tell it in his voice and in his face when he was asked about his sister and how much she continues to mean to him and the little goals and the sayings that she would give to him, he has written up on his mirror in the bathroom because then he smiled and says, hey, everyone looks at themselves in the mirror, so that's where you see all these goals, like stay myself, be consistent. So it's all these Work little hard. things. And it's, it's, it makes it easy to root for all of these draft picks. But when you have stories like that, some background, now all of a sudden it's, all right, I want that guy. I want that player to be successful. What I don't want to speak for him without, you know, saying, uh, connecting dots. Clearly, he's playing for her and her memory because she's with him, and that's the way he feels. And you know, that's the fact that she was six years older. So I'm sure she was more than a, a sister mentor. I mean, she, you know, probably took care of him when she needed to if the parents weren't around. So yeah, I'm. You could tell that he's got a. He learned a lot from her and how he's going to use it in his not only football life, but in his personal life. And he's the one out of the four that spoke on Thursday. He was the one that I came away with the biggest first impression, if you will, as far as how he handled himself, his story, and just, as he said, the nonstop motor that he plays with. And he brought up Marcus Golden because that's the one thing Marcus will always give you no matter First quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, week one, week 17, practice, yeah. real game. He is always going to bring it. And if Sanders can be half of what Marcus Golden does as far as the work ethic, he's going to be very, very successful. But I'm intrigued by Sanders' ability to get into the backfield. He mentioned that he needs to work on finishing and correcting some of those plays that he was not able to finish in college and then maybe be that tall six foot five frame, a little bit leaner than a Chandler Jones, the ability to drop back into coverage, maybe get his hands on some footballs. That's the one player I'm really anxious to see in competition, maybe not so much here in the offseason, MJ, but more in training camp when you do have 
11 on 11 and how quickly he can assimilate and make that transition from college to the pros. Yeah, Darren asked him, you know, how frustrated were you? You maybe didn't put up the sack total that he wanted, but he was very complimentary of, hey, I wanted other guys to get accolades, and he had a ton of quarterback pressures and hurries, and, and I don't know about knockdowns. The guy f- followed up a question and asked him about Cincinnati because he went there four years ago, and we know Luke Falk has done a great job, and they're putting guys in the NFL, and and, and they bring out a lot of talent. He said it was more the culture. We all, we were a brotherhood, and, and I sense that when it comes to him being with the Arizona Cardinals. I really like – what we saw from my Jay Sanders and just I think out of these eight draft picks and I know we're you know trying to make some predictions but he might not play the most on defense but I do think he'll be the first of the defenders to start a game maybe even week one because it's all right go rush the quarterback get into the backfield disrupt the play disrupt as much as you did in college because that's the one thing that we kept hearing, whether it was Kime or Kingsbury, on for Kime, looking at Sanders' tape, he was more disruptive than productive. He affected the quarterback. And that is what this defense needs more than anything right now from that outside linebacker room. I'll say this, though. When you look at him, he, he he's, he's all these – the four guys we mentioned, McBride, Thomas, Sanders, and Ingram, to me – they're not locks to make the roster and be active. Obviously, you look at the top three or four picks, they're going to be in the equation. But, you know, you know how I am about big on snap counts in the first month of the season versus second month. You still have your your starters, and you, you still have, you know, obviously Marcus Golden and Kennard. Maybe use Kennard on first and second down. You take them off on third. And then you still have Dennis Gardick and Victor Diamokichi. And, you, you know, you have um, – Michael Dogby, so I don't think these guys are going to get a ton of snaps, but it's going to create a good rotation, and they get confident, and all of a sudden we know that Vance comes up with sub-packages. You know, We're going to bring more than you can block. So that's, that's where I think he can accelerate, and I think the same thing with Thomas. Thomas, six foot four, two sixty seven. The ability to play inside, outside. He feels he fits better using his terminology outside, but can play inside. If asked, it's what he was asked to do at San Diego State because it was needed, so he moved inside. But it's the effort to get to the quarterback, and he mentioned relentless effort. That's how you get to the quarterback as an outside linebacker. And Again, you're making that transition. Sanders as well. Both were defensive ends in college. Put your hand in the dirt, stand up. Now I think it's going to be predominantly stand up for both of these and now just figure out if one is ahead of the other. And then it just they mentioned how, well, Sanders, because he spoke second, how much that they've already become not an item, if you will, but that connection starting to form that bond. And I wonder how much competition between the two there might be just to figure out, you know, to, to push each other to the betterment of the team. Yeah, you know, every draft class, they're attached for life. And, you know, again, it's a crapshoot, but – Cardinals obviously felt like taking the best uh, best available players, and then they filled some needs, especially on day number three. So let the best man win. But competition is going to bring out the best in these guys. And like I said, I'm looking forward to Vance coming up with some sub packages. But to sit here and say they're going to be like Isaiah Simmons and and, and, and projecting what Zayvon Collins can do this year, 
they have guys in place already, but you need depth and you need backups and guys that you can rely on and you trust in a, in a big spot. Well, Sanders and Thomas, day two picks. The two players you mentioned, that's day one picks. So the expectations are totally different. I'll only say this about expectations for Thomas and Sanders is because of the void at outside linebacker and that position not addressed in the offseason. So now all of a sudden it's like, who do we have on the roster? And, yeah, you're a third-round pick, but I'm sorry, you two – I expect to see you early in the season because you're what was brought. This is what was added. So it's it's it's, it's unfair, and I get it, but that's the position that these two have been put in based off what the front office did and did not do. That That's the NFL. That's how it works. I mean, you get drafted, and they, they try to fit you in their scheme based on uh, your upside. And how about his <clears throat> love – of J.J. Watt. I mean, he can't wait to meet him. He's going to be that little duck just following him, and I wouldn't blame him. Obviously, he's got to put the work in, but he, he lit up when he was asked about J.J. Watt. And, and, of course, he's not going to be able to wear number 99, uh, which, he, you know, he'll worry about that kind of stuff. But it's going to be interesting just to see his growth because we know Zach Allen was kind of a – he took him under his wing, and anybody else was willing to listen, J.J. Watt was there for him whether it was in the locker room, on the field, or just taking them out, these guys out and having a good time away from the facility. I don't know when, but whenever that meeting, that first meeting takes place, I certainly hope it's captured on video because when you have Cameron Thomas saying, quote, I might be a little kid when I meet him, talking <laughs> oh, about Oh, he JJ lit up like Watt. a Christmas tree. It, it's, it's you know, he, he wore number 99 for a reason. He watched J.J. Watt film, sees some similarities between himself and Watt and the fact that he can play all along that defensive line, in the, rush the quarterback. And Excuse me, and the word he used when he watches J.J. Watt, relentless. And he wants to be relentless. And I think he's got good size, 6'4", 267. Again, you look at Colorado State, San Diego State, Cincinnati, the first three picks, you can find players if you have the good scouts that obviously see the upside in these guys. Do you think Thomas, as I mentioned, McBride, or excuse me, Sanders might be the guy who starts uh, that first game amongst these guys. But Cameron Thomas, you're going to see a lot of him on defense. And it might be where at the end of a month or midpoint of the season, it's like, all right, where did Thomas line up? And not that they're asking him to do different things, but because of his ability, you know, how many times do we see him stand up on the left side, the right side, his hand in the dirt, inside. Not that it's an Isaiah Simmons moving around, asking to do different things, but just along that front seven because of his ability. Well, and and they all talked about playing on teams, all all four of them. And, you know, again, these guys could get 12 to 15 snaps, um, get a nice rotation, and then maybe we'll see it increase, and we'll see if these guys separate each other. I mean, to sit here and say all three are pan out, history says it's not going to happen, but – two out of three pan out, and then one becomes a really good special teams player, and then I think you address your needs and you're looking at the future. Eight draft picks, no one in the first round. So, yeah, it's it's a lot to ask, even of the day three picks. We're all intrigued by the day three picks, including the two offensive guards and what maybe Jesse Laquetta can do as either an outside or inside linebacker or maybe becomes that Dennis Gardeck where you're a monster on special teams and you're working your way up to playing more defense because Laquetta was one of those special teams players who excelled at Penn State. Now, can you do it here on the pro level? But look, it, it, it's what we have to talk about right now when you talk about these draft picks and then it's, okay, you get to training camp 
And a lot of times you lose sight, literally, of those draft picks because all of a sudden it's the veterans are around and they just look bigger, better than the draft picks because they're walking into something that is completely brand new or, as Ingram mentioned, foreign to everybody. Well, you know, Jordan Hicks and Chandler Jones, and rightfully so, they were obviously veterans and they probably had the best training camp of anybody. There was a lot of guys that stood out, I thought, including Kyler Murray. I mean, the offense was humming, but those guys would get day off. I would assume Marcus Golden's going to get some days off. Kennard, you want to make sure you get through the season with him, even though he keeps in great shape. So these guys are going to get a chance to play a lot in the preseason, you know, uh, see where they are, and then we'll, we'll look at the new defensive line coach uh, when it comes to what he thinks. But, you know, Michael Dogby's a guy we probably don't talk about enough, and he's listed as a defensive end, so – do I want Dog be in there versus Thomas? Well, we'll see. Maybe you like you could put four defensive linemen in there, and Dog B and Thomas could be right next to each other, along with J.J. Watt and, and possibly Zach Allen. That would be kind of a NASCAR package to get to the quarterback. But I think these guys are going to get valuable reps, and I want to see them play in the preseason um, because that you know once the lights get bright in in the week one and throughout the season, it's a little bit different. I mentioned that I'm most intrigued about Sanders. I think I have a lot of curiosity with respects to Chris Matthew, the seventh-round cornerback out of Aldosta State, and for a couple of different reasons. One, his bouncing around from Georgia Southern to Sanford before getting to Aldosta State, and then the facts, and I didn't know this until I ran into cornerbacks coach Greg Williams, but Matthew is 25 years old. He'll turn 26 in October. Let me say that again. Matthew is 25. He'll turn 26 midseason. MJ, he is older than Byron Murphy. He is older than Marco Wilson. He has two months on Jeff Gladney, who is 25, turns 26 in December. So you're having a rookie walk into this cornerback's room. And, yeah, you got Antonio Hamilton in there as well, so he's not the oldest, but a rookie who walks in at 25, very mature, has certainly all the measurables at 6'2", 195, now making that jump from Valdosta State tenfold to the NFL. How do you make that transition? Yeah, and, and the good news is they probably won't have to rely on him, but we know last year when you know Marco Wilson and Byron Murphy weren't able to play, you had guys like Jace Whitaker out there and Brandon uh, Bortles borders and so it's, it's nice to have depth it wouldn't surprise me just based on his you know I mean he's got all the the attributes when you look at size 6'2 195 um, but again I think he's a guy well I want to see what he can do against some of these top receivers in in you know OTAs and then we get the training camp and they put the pads on and then another guy that I think could slide to the practice squad and I want to see what he can do in the preseason because you know even though those guys are fighting for jobs but I like the size um, the good news is you're not expecting him to come in and play right away. Where Jeff Gladney, they're looking at him to be a starter. Marco Wilson, obviously flashed last year, got him more consistent throughout the season. And then Byron Murphy got it to a great start. And I'm sure he knows because the contract's looming here um, that it's time for him to shine. Not no, not so much on the interceptions. It's nice to force turnovers, but I like when a couple of games he deflected passes, including in that 49ers game, it saved a touchdown there. That's just as important of getting a pick, especially if it's on third down. It is just the start for these rookies. There are going to be some peaks. There are going to be some valleys. There might be several valleys, 
but it's that fun ride that we all get to take with them and watch them grow. Hopefully all of them, it's highly unlikely that all eights will pan out, but this front office needs a better hit rate with draft picks, whether that's first round or middle rounds, because that's how you really build your roster and then add talents where you need to. Well, I mean, you never know, but with the practice squad, whether it's 14 or 16, I, I got to think, you know, you, you're not drafting these guys for just a year. I'm talking about, you know, the guys drafted in the seventh round, you know, when you look at Luketa, Matthew, and Hayes. You can always put them on the practice squad, and we know that you're just, you know, a player away, and you develop them. You know, so much stash them, but they learn. You get to come to the facility every day. You get to obviously be in meetings. You get to run with the scout team. So there's a lot of benefits, and, you know, some of these guys just may not be ready um, for the rigors of playing in the NFL, but that doesn't mean it can't happen over a period of time. And you're projecting because the talent is too good to pass up, and you see something, maybe not in 2022, late season, or 2023, and you don't want to fight 31 other teams to try to land them in the unfree, the undrafted free agent process. You know, I guess I'll wait for training camp, but, you know, looking at the, the depth at outside linebacker, I mean, are all these guys going to make the roster? Oh, absolutely not. There's no way. No. And so – You've got eight right now on the roster. I'll tell you right now. I was told that when you get to the preseason and now, you know, teams scout preseason games, obviously you look at who you're going to play early in the season. You look at maybe just possibly trade partners. I was told when it comes to that second preseason game, teams call for defensive line, outside linebackers, and corners. No other position. And the Cardinals may have to make a decision to possibly look at a guy that may not make the roster and try to get a late pick for him. And, and the guy that I'm looking at, and I hope he makes the roster because I think he's earned it, is Victor DiMacchi. But when you're a second or third round pick, you got a little more cachet. But he's going to earn the right to be on there. So you're not going to be able to keep everyone. No, it's impossible. You only have 53 spots and only, you know, 47 are active on game day. So, you know, but this those, is – Those are good problems. Where, oh, absolutely. This is, and this is where it begins. Show us something. Yeah. I mean, to sit here and say they're all going to contribute, I mean, I, I, you look at the three or four guys, I, they're, they're going to contribute at some point in the season. I mean, Marco Wilson contributed. And, you know, getting Ralford Alford back would be huge for a guy like, you know, Chris Matthew. Just learn from him because Alford's one of the more physical corners on the roster. You know, if, MJ, if we keep bringing up Robert Alford's name enough <laughs> here on Cardinals Cover 2, somebody's listening. Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Sending out the smoke signal. Maybe we can – Speak it into existence because he's still out there. <laughs> Maybe you and I are the only ones that keep mentioning him, but I would certainly like to see Alford back on this team. If no other reason, that veteran depth. And let's face it, no, he's not getting any younger, but when he was on the field last season before his injury, he was very physical and very effective. And you know how I felt. I don't know if they would have won the game, but I think he would have been able to show a slowdown, not shutdown, slowdown Odell Beckham Jr. and He'd be great for some of these young guys, including even a guy like Marco Wilson. And the Cardinals are bringing in some corners when it comes to either undrafted free agents or tryouts. You know, the NFL, they obviously have been doing this for years, and it's good because imagine in, it sounds like the veterans phase two, maybe they worked earlier in the week. Obviously, you still work on your own. But can you imagine being out there and you're sitting behind J.J. Watt and you're taking reps and you're just like you're shaking? I mean, here – you're allowed to make mistakes. Yes. 
nobody's going to judge you. I mean, you're not going to make the roster in the first day, but you want to show them, hey, this guy's got potential. What is his skill set? We're going to play to his strengths and put him in our scheme that's going to utilize both um, production and playtime. So that's the beauty of coming out here. And don't worry about it. Everything's on film. But make sure when you go back to that hotel, you're studying the playbook because that's half the battle. Learn the playbook. Play fast. Don't think. And it's not going to happen overnight. But be be attentive to what they're asking you to do. Don't try to do too much. Last thing here, I know how much you follow the Senior Bowl. And I don't know if you saw this. And if you did, let's let everyone else know. But the Cardinals... Six of their eight selections participated in the Senior Bowl, whether the practices leading up to and or the game itself. Trey McBride, Cameron Thomas, MyJ Sanders, Lasita Smith, Jesse Lucetta, and Marquise Hayes. Now, this was a tweet from the Senior Bowl's Twitter account with the hashtag, the draft starts in Mobile. And it's become bigger talking about the Senior Bowl, and it's a lot of the credit to those that work with it because everyone is in Mobile, and you can find players. Hassan Reddick stood out. Cardinals made him a first-round draft pick, not because of, but it helped what he did during that week. McBride showed that he can go against SEC, ACC, you know, uh, Big Ten players, you know, physicality. So, yeah, Jim Nagy does a great job, and I think he's interviewing for a certain position, so they're lucky to have him, but it does start there. And EXO – you know, after guys go to the Senior Bowl, and everything's on film. Usually the coaches will leave and watch the film, and then you go back to the film. I'm sure on draft day when you're looking at that second and third round, you go to your scouts and say, let's see what you like here. Where's his strengths and where's his weaknesses? We can work. This could be, This is coachable. So they do a great job. And, you know, I, I give the NFL PA, they're trying to get more eyes on that, the East-West Shrine game. But the Senior Bowl to me is 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 the cachet, and they put a ton of guys in the NFL. And when you get a guy from Colorado State that gets to go there and say, "I can play," maybe I wasn't highly recruited, but I can play with the best players in the country. And I think McBride showed that and allowed the Cardinals to think at least Kingsbury didn't think he would be there at 55, and they went the best available player there versus a need. The draft starts in Mobile. For these rookies, these Cardinals rookies, their NFL lives begin this weekend for the three-day rookie minicamp. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Mike Jarecki, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.